is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full-Time Travel. And every other Thursday, I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest today, Bruce Wallen, is an award-winning writer, editor, and producer, and the host of Travel That Matters, which was named one of the 10 best podcasts for 2022 by Men's Journal. Bruce has made a name for himself as a leading voice in travel journalism, a reputation that began when he and a group of friends launched their own publication called Trip in the 1990s. It was an incredible experience, but eventually they ran out of funds. It was right around this time that Bruce and his former girlfriend decided to travel through Central America to enjoy what they imagined would be their last big adventure before settling down. It was a trip that gave Bruce a new travel ethos, that travel gets better the more effort you put into it. In this episode, he shares all the ways effort paid off on that trip, from planning a very romantic proposal to discovering off-the-beaten-path Mayan ruins. It's also worth mentioning that Bruce and I did a podcast swap. So after you finish this episode, head over to Travel That Matters and you can listen to Bruce interviewing me about a trip that changed my life. Bruce, welcome to the trip that changed me. Thank you, Esme. Happy to be here. I feel like we've discussed some of the trips we've taken just through working together, but I've never heard about this one. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Well, very good. It's good to actually be talking to you on your podcast. So thank you. Okay. So normally I ask people as the first question, where did your love of travel originate? Honestly, we didn't travel that much as a family when I was a kid. I mean, we did some great trips. I think it was something that always left an impression on me when we did. I think like the one that really, really stands out for me is a trip we did to British Columbia when I was probably eight or nine. And we drove from LA all the way up to the Bella Coola Valley in British Columbia. And, I th- and, and, you know, stopping at giant sand dunes in Oregon along the way and seeing elephant seals in Santa Cruz and all these like kind of great experiences to get there. But then once we were there, it was so different from my life in LA. And I think that like, you know, I remember like standing on a river and seeing salmon jumping out of the water and a bald eagle flying overhead and, and you know, just giant pine trees everywhere. And I think that difference really had an impact on me as a kid. So obviously you're a writer, but did you always know that you were going to write about travel or were you, did your beat start somewhere else? I did. You know, honestly, I got into this because of travel. I got into magazines and, and writing and everything through travel. I, I was working in Hollywood as a, you know, an assistant to a producer and a couple of friends of mine and I came up with an idea for a travel magazine. And we had no idea what we were doing. We had, we'd met, none of us had ever worked in publishing or anything before, but we figured it out. And it was called Trip Magazine. And it was kind of like, it was all about like backpacking and you know adventures through Europe and Southeast Asia. It was kind of like the anti-luxury travel magazine. And it was fantastic. I mean, we, well, <laughs> the magazine itself probably wasn't that fantastic, but the experience was fantastic for us. And for, you know, I learned a new industry. I was doing something that I was passionate about. I think it was like really the first time in my life that I just completely threw myself into a project. And, you know, that led to 
what I've done ever since. And this was in the 90s, right? So I'm guessing it was a print magazine. I'm dating myself here, but yeah, it was like right. We were like, should we have a website? Because we, like, there's these things that people are doing and we're like thinking about maybe we should. But yeah, it was a print magazine. So how did you get something like that off the ground? Did you pour some of your own money into it or did you need to find the funds somehow? So my partner's dad gave us, I think, 15 grand. And that was what we had. And we just called in a bunch of favors and had friends, you know, like, you know, a friend would been on a trip to Baja or to Yemen or wherever, like, hey, write a story about your trip, even if you're, you know, didn't matter that none of them were writers. But and it showed a little bit, admittedly, if you read, if you read through it, it's a, it's not necessarily the most polished production in the world. But, you know, it was just we were working out of a garage, one of our parents' garage, and we just figured it out as we went. How many issues were there? We did four issues. We published a full year of quarterly issues. And we got, a, I mean, honestly, we got a great response. We had a bunch of subscribers, but we were just clueless when it came to the business side of things. And, and we kind of like, we almost made it work and almost got partners, but it just never really panned out. But, you know, that launched me into other magazine jobs and, and what I do today. So when did it become clear that it probably wasn't going to work and you were going to have to shut it down? That's a good question. I, you know, I, I think my partner and I had different opinion, <laughs> opinions about that. For me, it really was a moment where it, that led to, honestly, the trip that I planned to talk about here because it, it was really a moment where I thought, like, this isn't working, but I know that it's been an incredible experience for me and I want to do exciting things like this with my life, right? And and it, it was also kind of, too, I was like, I need to go do what we've been talking about for the past couple of years here, working on this project, like all these great adventures and all my friends and whoever connections we've written for us and like all these things that people have done. Like, I want to go do that. I want to go live that experience. That makes sense. I mean, it must have been, I can't, maybe it wasn't hard because you felt like you'd learned what you needed to learn. But I'm always interested in what is the point when people make that decision, you know, that they, they're like, now is the time to try something new. I, th I think for me, honestly, like I've learned over the years that I probably don't have the best entrepreneur mindset. I think some people might have been taking a different approach than me and they might have just gone until like there was nothing left. And I completely respect that. And I see, you know, a lot of super successful people. For me, I think it was like, we've worked so hard on this thing and we've, we have zero money and we're, you know, we're dying on the vine. Like I didn't have that fight in me to keep on going. It was more like, I want to go do all these fun things that we've been talking about. And I, you know, was that the right decision? I don't know. It's all, it's all worked out fine. But, you know, another person might have been able to dig in and, and really make a go of it. So the plan was to go traveling. How did you decide where to go? So I think I have to step back a couple of years before we started Trip Magazine. I was working, I think, as assistant for a producer in Hollywood. And one day at work, I got a phone call from an old friend of mine saying, hey, this is a weird question, but I'm going to Costa Rica tomorrow. And my brother-in-law was supposed to go with me, but he just broke his arm and they were going on some surf trip. He goes, any chance you want to take his place? And I mean, this was like three in the afternoon and they were leaving the next morning. This is, I should mention, this is back in the day, you know, before you had to worry about changing tickets and, and it was pre 9-11, like you could pretty much just change the name on the ticket and you'd be, you'd be fine. And, you know, long story short, I didn't even know what Costa Rica was, honestly. <laughs> Fully up to, I'm supposed to be a travel expert now and back then. Although I, back then, Costa Rica wasn't really nearly what it is now. But 
in terms of the travel mindset, but I went and it was amazing. Like I was, I bought a book and I read it on the plane. You know, I bought a book about Costa Rica. I read it on the plane down there. I had no idea what to expect. And it was amazing. I mean, I like, you know, everyone talks about places the way they were before they were discovered. And, you know, I think I was lucky enough to catch Costa Rica at that time in a time when it was, you know, mainly American surfers who were visiting. Not many other people really went there. Maybe some burgers, but that was about it. And I mean, we were just kind of staying in places for eight bucks a night and surf in the morning and, and then go on some, you know, crazy adventure in the afternoon. And it was just, it was magical. And so I think that whatever week-long experience, whatever it was, just left such an impact on me that when we decided to like make a big trip, like a, we want to do three months, it was it had to be Central America. And you said in the pre-interview notes, we decided to embark on one last grand journey before we came back and started our adult real lives. This is you and your then-girlfriend. How did that sense that this might be the last big trip you would get to do influence your plans and itinerary? Well, I, th- I, w- I think throughout life, we've always had those moments where this is the last big one, <laughs> right. you know, before we have kids, before we get married, before whatever it is, and before I go get that real job. And as you know, I've learned, at least for me, that's it's never, never the last one. There's always, there's always another reason. So, but I do think I had that mindset of like, I'm going to come back and work really hard and, and be successful, but we're going to go have the time of our lives first. How long were you planning to go for? It was like two and a half, three months, I think. You know, we I think we had a flight to Guatemala City. And then a month later, we had a flight from Guatemala City to San Jose, Costa Rica. And everything else was... A, and then after, you know, like maybe a month and a half after that, a flight from San Jose back to LA. And everything else was open. So it was that was kind of the beauty of it. Was that normal for you to just go spontaneously on these trips? It sounds like it from your Costa Rica surfing trip. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I never really thought about it that way. I, you know, I'd done the backpacking through Europe after college. And, you know, I think on that trip, for sure, I learned that, oh, you may have a plan, but the plan doesn't matter once you're actually there and doing things and you meet someone and then you go there instead. And like, and that was the beauty of that trip. And I think, you know, look, I think anyone who's done that kind of classic, at least for, you know, people who grew up in the US, like the classic backpacking trip through Europe is such a, you know, defining moment in who you are and, and your travels and everything. And and I think this trip to Central America was kind of the next evolution of that. Was there at that point, like a strong backpacker trail through the region? Or was it like most people just tend to go to Europe or Southeast Asia? It was definitely evolving. You know, Costa Rica was starting to become more popular. Guatemala, certainly, like a lot of kids went to Guatemala to study Spanish which mm-hmm. that's how we, we actually started our trip with two weeks in Antigua, Guatemala, which was quite popular as a place to go study. But it was, I mean, like Nicaragua, El Salvador, and Honduras, all three of those countries were very fresh out of civil war at that time. And civil war, war with each other. And also, you know, the U.S. was very heavily involved in those wars, whether or not they acknowledged it or not. And so I think it was a little raw down there in terms of the countries were coming out of this horrific time. And a a lot of people there did blame the U.S. in many ways for their struggles. And so we did come across a lot of kind of negativity toward the U.S. in some places, but never toward us. Like it was always people were super, you know, warm and happy to talk to us, but they weren't crazy about 
the U.S. government. <laughs> so you went like, we're Canadian. <laughs> no, we didn't do that. We didn't put the Canadian flag on our backpacks, no. Um, you mentioned then that you started off in Antigua and you were staying with the family and learning Spanish. And that strikes me as very smart and very conscientious as a way to begin this trip. You know, engaging with locals and learning the local language, a lot of people wouldn't have done that. Is that true to your kind of ethos or approach as a traveler? I think it is. I mean, I love, tra- I mean, part of the reason why I love Latin America, both Central America, Mexico, where I, I live for a year and South America is because I do think I get a next level experience because I speak the language. I wish I spoke it a lot better than I do, but I, you know, I speak well enough that I, it improves and deepens my experience. I wish I were better at it. <laughs> I wish I could go just really master it and dig in a little more because every level that you learn, I think you get to connect with people at a higher level, right? I do think even since that time, since that trip to Central America, the world has changed so much in that almost anywhere we can go now as native English speakers, we can get by, right? I mean, like people speak English just just about everywhere in the world. And I don't necessarily like that. It makes my life easier on the road. But, you know, I was in Japan recently and couldn't communicate with a couple of people. And it ended up costing me, you know, $100 more in my taxi fare than it should have. But it was one of those things like, you know what, that's on me. Like, I don't speak their language. And because of that, he didn't know where I was going. And that's part of the experience to me. And I do kind of miss the days when it was a little harder to get around for English speakers. I don't speak any languages. Right. No, I I, and, British Americans, yes, we all, we're in the same boat there. <laughs> I try and do, you know, Duolingo sometimes before I go somewhere, especially if I know that people might not be speaking English. But I do think it makes people look a lot more favorably on you, except for maybe in like Paris, where they're like, they just stop care. trying. Yes. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't don't try. You know, that's why you say that, because I, I just did that. with I went to Thailand recently and tried and it was like, I can't. It took me a week to learn how to say basically hello. I, it was it was just too foreign for my old brain that I it was it was beyond me. So I'd love to talk about the fact that you proposed to your girlfriend on this trip. Was that always I, the plan, or did you make that decision in the moment? No, that that was the plan. Actually, I I did go down with that plan. So we had we had our flights. I got a ring from my grandmother to bring down at some point. I didn't know when. After Antigua, we went to Tikal, which is, you know, of course, the, the famous Mayan ruins there in northern Guatemala in the jungles. Amazing. Again, like I feel like it wasn't undiscovered by any stretch. There were plenty of people there, but we got there before, you know, it became a, a super tourist site and just an incredible experience. And yeah, I, I proposed on the top of the big pyramid there. Was she surprised or was she kind of expecting it? I think she was surprised. I think she was surprised. And, and it was, you know, look, it was one of those things where we were still pretty early in that trip. And so it just kind of set the tone for like, wow, this is our like, we get, we get to celebrate for two months in Central America right now and just have the time of our lives. And, and man, like that, looking back at that, you know, your whole life in front of you and the freedom that we had and the the ability to be spontaneous and just go off on this adventure was uh, really special. And that's a nice high note to continue the journey on as well, I'm sure. You were probably buzzing from that. Oh, it absolutely was. And I, I mean, like, look, we had a lot of incredible experiences and and like, you know, a Europe trip where we would, you know, we'd think we'd be going one place and then we'd change course and, and go somewhere else. And, you know, it was just 
a special time for both of us, but it was also like, it left such an imprint on, I think, both of us. Of course, my, as you know, we're no longer married, but we have two wonderful kids. And, you know, it was all a very positive experience. You know, that helped shape both of us and our relationship. So. And it was probably a good icebreaker when you met other people as well. You're like, yeah, we just got engaged. The most important thing for me. Okay, well, I, let me step back. I think travel is something we get better at over time, right? So it's it's kind of like playing an instrument or sports or something like that, where if, you know, the more you practice, the better you get. And fortunately, travel is a fun thing to practice. But I think like that trip to me was really like my defining education in travel, like my finishing school or my college or whatever it is. And, you know, part of, I think a huge thing that I learned on that trip was that the best travel experiences require some level of effort, right? Like a lot of times, the more effort you put in, the bigger the payoff. And with travel, I found that time and time again, and effort can be, you know, like going on a super long hike to get somewhere that other people aren't getting or just traveling farther by, you know, taking three planes and two boats just to get to somewhere no one else is. Or it can also mean like taking a risk and doing something like going out of your comfort zone. And we had so many experiences on that trip where that kind of just like was ingrained in me, both the spontaneity and that effort. And I say that because like, yes, we did. Like we met people like that night, we met this couple from Norway who's doing the same thing we were. They were just backpacking all around. And we end up, they had been to Tikal that day too. And we had heard about this other Mayan site in the jungle somewhere that, you know, no one ever went to, but they said, let's, like I, I told them about it and they go, yeah, let's do it. So there we were. Next morning, we wake up, <laughs> this couple that we just met the night before, and we hitchhike to a river like an hour away, get to this river. We have to hire a boat driver to take us an hour downriver. And he takes us to, in the middle of the jungle. There's this signpost that says, you know, El Sebal up in the jungle there. He drops us off and we ask him to come pick us up in three hours. Hopefully, hopefully he shows up. We hike up for, I don't know, hour, maybe, see like coral snakes, barber, like all kinds of venomous snakes all over the place. Like, literally, I almost stepped on a coral snake. We get, and there's no one there, that, and we're going through the jungle, dense jungle, and we get up, and we turn a bend, and there are 20 guys with machetes staring at us. And I think like, oh, this is exactly why we shouldn't be here. and they smile at us and kind of like part and guide us to this little sign, you know, outpost where this guy is there taking money to let you into the national park. And we're like, what? And we, if we pay this guy a couple bucks or whatever it is, and we walk around these incredible mine ruins with no one else there. And I guess these guys with machetes were there just taking care of the grounds. It was, and then, you know, we go back down. Sure enough, the boat driver comes back and gets us, takes us back. And we get, you know, we find our way back. But it was one of those things that we just were, you know, A, it was spontaneous. B, we, we took a risk. C, we like, you know, worked a little harder. We took multiple modes of transport and hiking through the jungle. And, it, and we had this experience that, you know, I'm sure now plenty of people probably go to El Ball. It's not a big deal. But back then it was. And it was like, that's just something all of us will remember. That sounds amazing. And yeah, I think you're right in that that's harder to come by nowadays. I feel like Instagram is a lot to answer for, but it feels like 
there aren't very many undiscovered places around, which is sad. I feel like we've lost something in that. We have. I think about that with my kids. Like they're going to miss out on a lot of like on that discovery. And <laughs> like a block from my house in L.A., there's an overlook that, that gives you a nice look of like Pacific Coast Highway and Point Doom and Malibu. It's just a nice little spot where there's no house and no one's ever from outside of the neighborhood ever been to this overlook. There's no reason to come in. Something must have happened in, during the pandemic because now it's like geolocated, tagged or something. And I get like there are tourists at this overlook all the time now. And it's like, I get it. It's a beautiful spot, but it's funny that how something can go from nothing to all of a sudden it's a fully discovered place that's crowded. People leave their trash, you know, and it's like, it's kind of sad. I've experienced that in a lot of destinations too. Yeah, it's interesting when it happens near your home. I used to live in Brooklyn Heights, right by the Brooklyn Bridge on the coast of Dumbo. And at that time, it was 10 years ago, Dumbo was just like desolate. It was just empty warehouses and like maybe one coffee shop or something. It was pretty empty. And there's this one street where you can see the Empire State Building through the arch of the Manhattan Bridge. It's very like photogenic. And I used to just walk by there all the time and be like, oh, this is so cool. And nobody else was there. And then one day there were just a million Instagrammers and professional photographers there. And people like, they, basically, if you're a cars can't even drive down that street anymore because there's so many pedestrians in the way. I saw a story in the New York Times about that about that problem <laughs> in on that street. That's funny. You used to live right there. Yeah. No, that's a perfect example. And, you know, unfortunately, it also happens in places where wildlife is impacted and, and everything. But, uh, you know, look, it also, everybody should have the same opportunities to have these experiences. That's not the issue. It's just, you know, I do think the drive to just go somewhere and snap a photo because you saw it on Instagram is, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the best reason to travel. Yeah, agreed. So you did have some amazing highlights, but were there any moments that were challenging? I feel like on a backpacking trip, through Central America at that time, you must have had some crazy moments. There were. There, there were definitely. I think that's that's something else I learned on that trip. And, and it's just that, like, that's part of it, especially when you're, you know, when you're traveling for three months. You know, when we lived in Mexico for a year, like, there's going to be good stuff and bad stuff, right? The good stuff's going to outweigh the bad stuff. But, you know, on that trip, man, we had a couple that were <laughs> very close calls. And I, but then also just like, I, there's, there's one experience that, uh, in particular that stands out that was like, it was like the best and worst all in one. And we were in Honduras and we decided to go to El Salvador. We had not planned on going to El Salvador was really raw at like just very recently out of war and it wasn't considered very safe, but we decided, you know, like we're, we're right here. Let's do it. So we took a bus to the border of El Salvador. And then you have to get out, cross the border and get on another bus. And we're, these are just public buses filled with, filled with people. And so we're on this long, you know, long bus ride to San Salvador and through the jungle. And I start talking to the guy who takes tickets on this bus. And, you know, a great example of why it was good that I took, you know, a couple of weeks of Spanish before. And so, I mean, we're on this bus for hours and this guy and I talk almost the entire time. And he's telling me about the war that he fought in, you know, that against Honduras, they called it the football war because it actually started because of a soccer match between Honduras and El Salvador. They were already like very tense. And then it, apparently there was this big soccer match and one of the teams won and there was riots and a war kicked off. So they, they call it the football war. And, you know, he told me about his experiences 
fighting in this war. And it was, I mean, he and I were like, you know, brothers by the end of this trip. And like toward the end, right before we got to San Salvador, the bus pulls over in a little town and there's people selling stuff on the side of the road. And he goes out and buys a couple of pupusas and brings one back to me from a, a lady making pupusas on the on the side of the road. And I was like, I was trying to pay him for it, but he wouldn't take it. And, you know, here's a guy, a guy who's, you know, taking tickets on this bus is not making any money at all at El Salvador in this, at this day and age. And he wouldn't take my money. He insisted he, you know, got me this pupusa. And, you know, finally we get to San Salvador, we say our goodbyes. And I was just like, you know, that guy has stayed with me for my entire life. The bad side story is that we, we get our hotel room in San Salvador. And basically, once we're there, the guy says, you know, don't leave at night. You know, you can go out during the day, but don't leave your place at night. And well, let's just say I got the, the worst stomach flu ever. I got food poisoning I've ever had in my life. And there were no doors on the bathrooms or anything like it was just like it was just like the worst thing. And I was sick for like 48, like violently ill for 48 hours. And, you know, that happens. We all we've all been there on foreign trips and everything like that. It was an especially bad one. And especially because there was no bathrooms on the doors. But it was like, you know, even in the moment, I was like, it was all worth it because like that was just, you know, unless I die here in this bed in El Salvador, I'm happy that I did what I did. And I'm happy I had that pupusa. (laughs) I've never had a pupusa since. I am completely unable to eat a pupusa, unfortunately, but it was worth it. What was one location on the trip that you really fell in love with and had trouble leaving? I mean, two places, I think Lake Patan in Guatemala, which was which near Tikal. And we just had such an amazing time there. I could have stayed there for long. I've, I've been trying to get back there since and I've never been back, which is strange. But I would say the other one was Roatan in the Bay Islands of Honduras. Again, <laughs> sounding like an old man here, but I, like it's one of those places I, I think I caught before it got, you know, before the cruise ship started coming in and, and everything like that. And you're like, this unbelievable beach. It's just like one of the most beautiful beaches you've ever seen. And you get a snorkel and a mask and you walk out and within five feet of the shore, you have some of the most incredible snorkeling you've ever seen. It, it was just like, we would just stay all day on this beach and go snorkeling, you know, and seeing incredible wildlife right there offshore. And then you come back in and have a beer and then you go back out and, and do it again. And it was like, that place was magical. And I'm I'm afraid to go back there. I don't really have a desire. Um, I'm sure the diving is amazing still and, and all that, but I know it's been very heavily developed and, and cruise shipped out. So did you end up staying there longer than you intended? No, no, that was one because it is an island. It was kind of like we kind of had to stick to our plan to get back. I got to say, I loved Honduras. And I really, it's funny, of among Honduras, Nicaragua, and El Salvador at that time, to me, Honduras was the one that was like, going to be a superstar, like the next Costa Rica, basically. Like it had everything. It had these incredible tropical islands, you know, beautiful jungles, great Mayan ruins, like water, like comparable to Maya. It it was almost like a combination between Guatemala and Costa Rica with like the wildlife, but then also all the, you know, the great cultural sites like Guatemala has. Unfortunately, that has not panned out. Honduras is in rough shape now. I haven't been in years but it's it's a shame because that is a beautiful, beautiful country. The people are amazing. And I really had, I was just excited about that place. And it just hasn't, hasn't really worked out. So as you were nearing the end of your trip, 
How did you feel about going back to the U.S.? I think we were ready. I mean, I think any any time <laughs> like you've had a long trip like that, you're like you miss the comforts of home. You know, we were. I think I was like my mind was spinning on that trip because we, you know, you had a lot of time to reflect, right? A lot of long bus rides, a lot of you know time sitting on my porch rid of a you know eight dollar hostel, like looking out at the ocean or whatever, and. You just were, I mean, I had so many ideas and so many things that I wanted to do. And so I think I, I was excited. I was excited to come back. And then, you know, we had a wedding to plan. We had like our whole life again. Like it was an exciting time. It was, we had a great experience, but we were, I think we were excited to come back. It's been such a great, complete experience that you're ready to come back. I agree. Did you know that you were, what you were going to do for work? Did you have any inkling? Had you made any sort of connections while you were out there? Not really. No, I didn't come up. My fiance at the time, she ended up getting a job at Bon Appetit magazine and I got hired to be the editor of a, a volleyball magazine. And that kind of, and we all just kind of, you know, it went in all these different directions from there. But, you know, it was back in the day when magazines were going strong and it was fun. Are you a volleyball player? <laughs> I'm not. I grew, I grew up in an area where volleyball is king. And so I've been around it my entire life. I was not, I was a baseball player. I was not a volleyball player, but I knew a bunch of the guys in the industry and everything. So it was, it was fine. But you knew you wanted, you wanted to get back into travel writing. I did, you know, honestly, I, one of the things that Trip Magazine did for me was I realized, yes, travel is my first love and why I got into this, but I really enjoyed publishing magazines. It's a fun, creative process where you get to work with like, you know, writers and photographers and designers. And and it's just like, it was a fun process. And, and at the end of all that effort, you have something to hold in your hand and, and like you created this thing, right? And so to me, yes, I wanted to be in travel, but I was happy just trying to make a go in, in the magazine world. Yeah. And since then, you've done a ton of stuff and been very successful. But one of the projects I'd love to talk about that's a more recent one is your podcast, Travel That Matters. How yes. did that come about? So I was the editorial director at Rob Report for many, many years, 15 years. And the longtime owner of Rob Report launched a, a podcasting company a couple of years ago called Kurt Co Media. And they wanted to launch a travel podcast. And, and because I had kind of been the travel specialist at, at Rob Report all those years, they came to me and said, what do you think about doing kind of like a Rob Report, you know, luxury themed, but travel podcast. And so we started developing the idea. I think, you know, as a longtime editor and writer, like I got story, I got, you know, how to interview someone, how to question, how to do, but it was a big learning curve. I got to say, like, if you listen back to the first, you know, listen back at the first couple of takes that we did and everything like that, like, it's not easy. And so, that's part of the things that I've liked about it, though, is that like I've learned a new skill and it's been amazing. So it's a lot of fun. Well, even getting, I'm speaking from experience here, but even listening to your own voice is like the most cringe thing. <laughs> so you have to get used to that when you're doing edits and stuff. Yeah, I judge a show based on after when I listen to it, I'm like, if I'm not completely embarrassed by it, then it's a success. That's my gauge. Tell us about some of the episodes that you are really proud of. So, okay, so Travel That Matters is, you know, it's really about extraordinary, meaningful travel experiences. And that can mean whatever you want. You know, for you, it could be about traveling with your daughter and bonding with her and sharing experiences with her. For someone else, it could mean going to, you know, help conserve land for wildlife in Costa Rica or, or whatever. So there's so many different ways you can interpret that. And that's been one of the fun things about it is that, you know, we've just gotten to interview 
a great range of people. This whole last season has been with chefs. We actually did a whole like culinary theme. And so I've been interviewing chefs about their favorite places to travel, favorite places for food, what destinations inspire them. All of them have been so fun to talk to. Marcus Samuelson, I would say, stands out as someone, that guy, like he was really one of the most interesting people I've ever interviewed in any context. And he's just so, you know, he was born in Ethiopia, grew up in Sweden, lives in New York. He's really the most like globally minded person I've met. And he knows so much about so many different nooks and crannies. Like <laughs> I'm for, I've lived in LA pretty much my whole life. And talking to him about LA, I realized like he might know more about the city than I do. He just knows everything and he's done everything. And, and it was amazing. And so I really enjoyed that one. I'm a big fan of African safaris. And we've had a couple of great people like Deborah Kalmeyer from Roar Africa, who she's fantastic, just great stories of growing up in Zimbabwe and, and kind of how she evolved into what she does today, leading safaris. Dr. Tara Stawinski, who runs the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund in Rwanda, she was fascinating. I mean, the whole Diane Fossey story is fascinating in and of itself, but she's just so, you know, hearing her talk about the gorillas and the interactions that they have in studying them was, was pretty fascinating. How is your approach to storytelling different in the podcast than it would be written? It's got to be a little punchier, that's for sure. Gotta, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, you're going to put people to sleep. I think it's really about, you know, honestly, it's a similar structure where you need to start off with something that like gives people a reason to keep on listening or reading. And then from there, you're going to step back and kind of get into the story a little bit. I think with podcasting, I like having people tell stories, right? I mean, it's just like, it's both. But, you know, anytime... You can explain something through a story. It's better. Agreed. Okay, so reflecting back on this trip and all the ways that it changed you, how do you feel that it shaped your life and the person that you are today? Wow. Many, many ways. I, you know, for one, I think it just shaped my whole philosophy on travel and what it's for and how I like to do it. It, it also just gave me a lifelong affinity for Latin America. I think everything from Mexico down to Chile, like, I love traveling through South America, Central America, Mexico, and that'll always be with me. I, when I land in a country like that, I just feel like immediate, there's something there, right? And, and I know everyone has, has that with a different place for me. It's, it's definitely Latin America. You know, the big thing for me is that kind of concept of effort results in, in better travel experiences. And that's something I've carried with me throughout my life. And the ability to be spontaneous. And I think like, as you get older, it gets tougher, for sure. Like, and, and especially, you know, look, if I'm, if I was traveling for Rob Report back in the day, it's like, you know, I would have my itinerary so booked up, there wasn't a lot of room for spontaneous. And I, I've, I've had this like, many, many times where I've been on some, you know, amazing travel experience through work, and I'll be like in the middle of this experience. I mean, like, I want to come back here sometime and actually like go on a trip here because I'm, I don't even feel like I'm on a trip here right now because I'm, I'm doing too many things and recording that whatever it is not to complain. It's an amazing experience to do that, but it's like, the, it's not the same as being on your own and having that ability to be spontaneous and go off on adventures. Also, though, if you hadn't have gotten married to your then girlfriend, you might not have your kids. Well, that, yeah, 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 that's a good point. That's a good point. Yes, there's that. I can engage. <laughs> I have two wonderful kids. So they're, they're now 22 and, and 20. And now I'm, I'm married and have an 11-year-old. And I will say, like, to me, the greatest thing about my job, what I've been able to do, the travels I've been able to have, 
are that I've been able to share a lot of that with my kids. And I, you know, there's nothing in the world that gives me more gratification than going on a cool travel experience with my kids. And I hope we'll talk more about family travel because I'm going to be on an episode of your podcast that people need to go check that out as well after they yes, finish listening we are. to this one. You've got an exciting life of family travel ahead of you. That's for I sure. I hope so. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And before you go, I'd love to do a quick fire round. Of course. Okay. What's the one thing every person should experience in their lifetime? Something different, something completely different, just being out of your comfort zone and experience, whether it's a wildlife experience or a cultural experience, just being completely blown away by how different this is from your day-to-day life. What do you never, ever travel without? Print magazines, of course. I love a good print magazine on an airplane. What's your favorite? Oh, I read all the travel magazines like Travel and Leisure, Conan Traveler, Afar, anything I'm working on, of course. Sometimes I have to I have to read the magazines that I'm working on because I don't have time in my regular life. But that is like planes are the one time where I really get to go through print magazines, which I still I love that experience. If you could teleport anywhere just for the day, where would you go and what would you do? I'd probably go to Patagonia. Chilean Patagonia, Argentine, whatever it is, and, and just go on some amazing hike and look for pumas and Wanakos and, and just crazy wildlife. What have you been most surprised to learn about yourself through travel? Honestly, I think going places that I expected not to like that I've liked a lot. That's probably like my preconceptions aren't always correct. Like that's probably been the most important thing. Okay, this one's specifically for you. What's the nicest hotel you stayed at? I would say probably Duba Plains, the Great Plains Conservation Camp in Botswana's Akavango Delta. It's called Duba Plains, and it's I just I, mind-blowing. What's a lesser-known destination that you'd recommend to other travelers? I would say all parts of Mexico that people don't usually go. I'd actually, you know, my, my other answer to the, my favorite hotel ever would be Hacienda de San Antonio in the mountains of Mexico and Colima. You know, this is a destination where most people would never be on their radar, and it is magical, you know, in the shadow of a volcano, just a beautiful old Hacienda property, a giant ranch with all kinds of, I, I mean, Mexico has so many hidden gems that people overlook. What's a recommendation for a podcast, a book, or a show to stay entertained on a long journey? Well, I have to go back to magazines, right? <laughs> so let's see. I, you know, I'm kind of old fashioned this way, but I do like guidebooks. And if you're going somewhere, just reading a guidebook by someone who really has lived and breathed this place over the years, whether or not you're going to do 90% of the things that you're reading about, it's just, it's enlightening and it's a good way to learn without, you know, diving too deep into the history or, or anything like that. But it just gives you a sense of like, okay, why do people go here? What do people do? Now, what do I want to do? Are you loyal to any particular brand? Not really. I, you know, I've read many Lonely Planets over the years, but Moon Guides, them all, like whatever kind of makes sense for the journey. Finally, where is next on your bucket list and why? Well, I really, someday I want to get to Antarctica. I don't think that's going to happen any day soon. I would say first that I want to go to Argentina. Argentina is, again, I, you know, I have an affinity for Latin America and I absolutely love Chile, like one of my favorite places on earth. 
Argentina is similar to Chile in that it's got that incredible variety of experience. So, you know, you can be in Patagonia, you can be in wine country in Mendoza, you can be at, have a great, incredible city experience in Buenos Aires, and then you can go to the tropical jungle and see jaguars in the Ibarra wetlands. Like, it is, I want all that. <laughs> I want to do, I want to do all that. And I just know I would love the culture. I love the way they speak Spanish there. And I just, I, I want to go to Argentina. That sounds perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Esme. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. We'll be back in two weeks' time with more inspiring travel stories for your ears. In the meantime, you can learn more about us by visiting fulltimetravel.co or following us on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. If you have a story you want to share on the trip that changed me, drop us a line. And please be sure to rate, review and follow so we can keep this adventure going.